0: Lecture 10, Part 1 of The Groundwork of the Christian Virtues by William Bernard Ullathorne This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 10 On the Magnanimous Character of Humility, Part 1 It is he that giveth strength to the weary, and increaseth force and might to them that are not. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 however excellent it may be what we do not know we cannot love this is the special difficulty that stands in the way of recommending the virtue of humility that its power and its excellence are hidden from the proud and from the sensual man to the natural man it is unknown to the proud man it is repulsive yet what so many persons look upon as the mere result of weakness and timidity is in fact a great self-conquering force which places the four cardinal virtues on their true basis and employs them in vigorous action no man can be so prudent just firm in endurance or temperate in life and conduct as he who is blessed with sincere humility but to unlock this truth to minds that are unprepared is no easy task for it chimes not with the inclinations of the sensuous and the proud the subject is in its nature severe and requires to be unveiled in its simple truth rather than to be clothed with attractive colouring of what use is a golden key if it will not open what we want and why should we refuse an iron key if that will suit our purpose all that we seek is to open what is locked from sight among the cardinal virtues and the virtues included in them we have chosen magnanimity as the one in which all the rest are exercised in their highest degree it was the noblest virtue of the heathens and is still looked upon as the noblest virtue of men of the world and our object will be to show that this virtue of magnanimity which is the noble outcome of the cardinal virtues has its true basis not as the world imagines in self-sufficiency and pride but in the humility that rests all virtue on the grace and power of god and further to demonstrate that it is exercised in an incomparably higher degree by the servants of god in whom it springs from humility than by the servants of the world in whom it springs from pride magnanimity or greatness of soul is opposed to pusillanimity or littleness of soul it is the virtue that inclines the will to arduous and generous acts in every kind of virtue and is classed with the cardinal virtue of fortitude but christian magnanimity contemplates more elevated motives and aims at higher objects and is consequently of a much nobler character than either the magnanimity of the heathen or that of the admired man of the world the magnanimity of the heathens as explained by their philosophers and especially by aristotle in his ethics and cicero in his offices contemplated human honour the shunning of dishonour and the conquering of those difficulties that stand in the way of honour they rested their greatness of soul on self-sufficiency and self-esteem and as their chief object in life they looked to the elevation of the man before his fellow-men of the honorable class, for they professed to despise the multitude as dishonorable, although they were always ready to humiliate themselves to the multitude in outward show when they sought their suffrages for public employments. The magnanimity of the heathen had no connection with his religion, and but little with his moral conscience it sprang from a public unwritten law with the opinion of the honourable class for its sanction it began and ended in the man and had its sphere in his reputation honour was to these men what god is to the christian the chief object and end of their life when honour failed them their pride could not endure dishonour and most of them were ready to commit suicide in order to escape from dishonour a clear proof that they considered honour to be the final end of their existence as the code of honour is not the code of conscience it allows of many exceptions from the dictates of conscience and in this respect the modern man of honour is not unlike his pagan predecessors for he is but too apt to put honour before conscience and to sacrifice his conscience to his honour yet there is a spirit of honour which the good christian ought to cultivate a self-respect from high christian motives that as a habit will often restrain him from ill manners imprudence folly and even worse at times and under circumstances when conscience moves but languidly or not at all but the love of honour as cultivated by the heathen and by the modern man of the world holds the same position with them as the love of god holds with the true christian it is their first of virtues to which all the rest are subordinate yet when measured by the christian law it is a vice rather than a virtue because its motive is the contenting of pride in obtaining human glory and tertullian does not exceed the limits of justice in calling these men of honour the animals of glory i take up the first modern book that comes to hand in which the virtue of magnanimity is treated in the old pagan spirit and i read its description as follows perseverance firmness fortitude constancy courage and calmness manfulness dignity of mind self-esteem and consistency are each the same principle and only different terms applied to a different degree of intensity or different relations and circumstances or they stand to each other in the relation of principle and application or lastly they are very nearly akin to one another and one can hardly be imagined to exist without the other here the political or public virtues are all identified with self-esteem which is obviously their basis remove this and substitute humility and you will have the description of christian magnanimity for the essential difference between pagan and christian greatness of soul is this that the one rests on the self-sufficiency of man and the other on the insufficiency of man without god christian magnanimity is a most generous virtue because it is essentially opposed to selfish considerations it moves the will to great efforts in seeking the greatest good and in valiantly overcoming the obstacles that stand in the way of that good, whether those obstacles be interior or exterior, it is intimately concerned with hope, because without hope we cannot aspire to great things. It is also closely allied with confidence, because without great confidence in the help of God, we cannot ascend to a good that is so far beyond our nature this confidence is a certain promptitude of will acting on the trust that god is with us and will enable us to master all difficulties in doing what we know he wills that we should do in order to obtain the arduous good that we seek this hope and this confidence are themselves a generous and magnanimous exercise of the soul for there is a greatness of soul in giving up the fears and misgivings of nature and in resting more trust on god than at the moment we see reason for by acting in generous faith it is considered a mark of greatness of soul in alexander that despite of warnings he trusted his life to his friend and physician great also must be the soul that transfers her whole trust from self to god this made the martyrs the confessors of the faith and all the generous heroes of god magnanimity is also concerned with security or tranquillity which rests with a sincere conscience on god this removes all unnecessary cares and clears away superfluous anxieties which only encumber and impede the soul fret her powers and absorb her energies in a useless way so that the will cannot give itself whole and undivided to the great objects to be aimed at and much power goes to waste and worry within the man this is quite as improvident as any other kind of waste or dissipation for it is a waste of our moral power and the cause of inward trouble and confusion the security of the soul comes of concentrating herself upon her true supporting center upon the god who sustains all things and belongs to the soul that trusts herself to him have you never found that when you rest your troubled soul on god there comes a calm and serenity follows there is no spiritual strength but what is from god the lord is my firmament my refuge and my deliverer psalm 17 verse 3 and the strength of the upright is the way of the lord proverbs chapter 10 verse 29 a soul loses her sense of security and consequently her tranquillity when she gets restless and impatient because of the obscurity that surrounds some present difficulty or some difficulty in prospect through which at the moment she sees not her way this often arises from not habitually living in the higher and serener light of the mind but in the lower sphere of the inferior nature so that imagination gets the start of intelligence and soft sensuous fear puts in its influence then patience should wait with calmness until light comes to clear the subject or until prayer obtains a serener light but the weakest way of losing tranquillity is to let the difficulty get inside of you and take possession of your feelings which will not only trouble you but will obscure the light that should fall upon it and darken your perception whereas if you keep the trouble outside in its objective position your calmer mind will see through it after a while and how it is to be dealt with a great soul that is calm in her security is simple in action but pride and vanity make a weak soul that acts under excitement which is always the sign of weakness and acts more from imagination than from the light of intelligence. He who acts from humility is calm and strong because he rests his powers on the eternal tranquillity. The sculptor understands how calmness is strength when he represents his heroes in the tranquil balance of their powers. The ocean is the symbol of strength when calm, but when agitated by the winds it shows weakness and like a passionate man. It becomes destructive. The first motive for security is the concurrence of God, who helps all natures to do their offices and withholds not his general cooperation even from sinners, that the appointed order of things may not fail or come to a stand. But how much more powerfully does he keep his servants who labour in justice to do his will? nor will he suffer them to be vanquished by the difficulties that beset their path to him trusting therefore in god and not in ourselves we ought to seek the things that are above with the calm valour of a tranquil spirit for those who trust in the lord shall renew their strength isaiah chapter forty verse thirty one the second motive for security is a good conscience this wonderfully strengthens the confidence of the just man and confirms the hope and belief of a successful ending to all his labours listen to the wisdom of holy job if thou wilt put away from thee the iniquity that is in thy hand and let not injustice remain in thy tabernacle then mayest thou lift up thy face without spot and thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear job chapter eleven verses fourteen and fifteen there is nothing says saint bernard more secure in this life than a good conscience nothing that we can possess more joyful the body may oppress the soul the world may betray us the devil may frighten us but a good conscience is always secure the third motive for security exists when with a calm solicitude we do all in our power to accomplish every good we undertake to do in a magnanimous spirit not rashly or imprudently but knowing that god will help us to do what he wills us to do if we trust in his mercy st cyprian has admirably expressed for us this source of security from god it is from god it comes whatever we can do from him we live from him we have power and while still upon earth we receive vigour from him to know the signs of the future things only let fear be the keeper of innocence so that the flow of heavenly influence which god sends may be received by the delighted soul with hospitality and just co-operation and the security thus obtained may neither give occasion to negligence nor suffer the old enemy to creep in christian magnanimity is opposed to pusillanimity or littleness of soul and to softness as defects from this noble virtue and to presumption ambition and vain glory as excesses beyond the true objects right motives and just temper of the magnanimous soul pusillanimity or littleness of soul is a vicious diffidence and mistrust of the powers that god has given us making this mistrust a reason for escaping the good work set before us and shying and shunning the duty we ought to accept and to do and so weakly giving up the spirit of devotedness under the plea that it is beyond our strength this weakening vice comes of excessive and superfluous timidity disordering dejecting and saddening the soul and greatly hindering her from serving god and from employing those means whereby the virtues are obtained and preserved it is a vice that greatly displeases god is very ignominious to the soul and utterly opposed to the divine goodness and sweet providence which god ever shows to those who are willing to serve him it is therefore condemned in the holy scriptures and commanded to be cast out of the soul be not pusillanimous in thy soul says ecclesiasticus ecclesiasticus chapter seven verse nine say to the faint-hearted says Isaiah take courage and fear not behold god will bring the revenge of recompense god himself will come and will save you Isaiah chapter thirty five verse four when christ walked on the troubled sea and his disciples tossed in the boat were troubled and afraid he said to them be of good heart it is i fear ye not st matthew chapter fourteen verse twenty seven this feebleness of soul may sink from one degree of pusillanimity to another until it reaches a settled despondency st bernard has shown the degrees of this descent as in the holy and elect of god he says tribulation worketh patience and patience trial and trial hope and hope confoundeth not in the reprobate on the contrary tribulation worketh pusillanimity and pusillanimity perturbation and perturbation desperation and that worketh ruin the severest punishment that god inflicted on the israelites in the desert was for their pusillanimity when the spies reported to them the strength of the inhabitants of the promised land and of their walled cities they lost all heart and courage, and of the six hundred thousand men that had left Egypt, God decreed that, except Joshua and Caleb, all should perish in the wilderness. The remedy for this faint heartedness is to put no trust whatsoever in one's own strength, and not to listen to flesh and blood, but to cleave with faith and trust to the divine help and strength alone because god never fails those who trust in him so he has promised and his promises are firm and faithful it is he that giveth strength to the weary and increaseth force and strength to them that are not youth shall faint and labor and young men shall fall by infirmity but they that hope in the lord shall renew their strength they shall take wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint isaiah chapter forty verses twenty nine through thirty one there is a kind of pusillanimity that insidiously relaxes the soul and is often very enfeebling especially in those who have not yet reached the experience of solid piety it may be described as a habit of fostering inward discomforts on unreasonable grounds and of nursing them into discouraging fears the subjects of this habit may be compared with those sensitive people who are unreasonably anxious about their health and keep themselves shut up in a close and unhealthy atmosphere rather than face the fresh open air they weaken their health by too much care of it in a wrong way such people have all manner of discomforts and timidities and are too much occupied with themselves to do anything that is large and generous if asked the radical cause of this spiritual infirmity the answer is clear and certain but the difficulty is to get the answer understood by those whom it most concerns it comes of a self-love that is always wanting to feel oneself and with the subtle feelers of this self-love the will is entangled and held down from rising to what is greater and better than oneself and that would free the soul and strengthen her powers by lifting her out of these unreasonable troubles and fears after a soul has done penance for her more serious sins and is happily free from them she finds herself subject to venial sins and various defects undoubtedly we ought to do our best to correct and amend them but neither to be surprised at them nor lose our peace and above all not to suffer our hearts to faint or our courage to sink on account of them or suffer them to relax our efforts to advance towards our divine good we ought thoroughly to realize that we are weak and infirm creatures with a natural proclivity to evil to be exceedingly grateful to god that he keeps us from the greater evils that destroy his friendship and to take the generous way of correcting those infirmities this is the vigorous way to work at the abnegation of self-will and at obtaining a solid humility which go to the roots of our weakness on the one side and that generously loving and serving god on the other which will bring the strength required to conquer our infirmities in short the effectual way of self-correction is the magnanimous and not the pusillanimous way we must have some infirmity to keep us in mind of our weakness and preserve us from elation and self-conceit the worst of all spiritual evils next to separation from god but to sink down into one's weakness to make much of them to indulge the imagination with exaggerations of them and give one's self more or less to sadness on account of them is to waste no small amount of spiritual strength in a vain and foolish way upon oneself this is not the strong and cheerful way to god but the weak and melancholy way back to self-love end of lecture ten part one